Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Numbers chapter 21, uh, we find here Moses writing about the people of God being disgruntled and murmuring and complaining about their situation. Did you, did you notice what happened when they became discouraged? They were, uh, it says, very discouraged when they were on the way, being delivered out of the land of Egypt. And because they were discouraged of not having food and not having the necessities that they thought they needed, they began to grumble against Moses and against the Lord. Notice how discouragement often brings us to be a people that grumble about our situation and our condition. We're all subject to that. We all have a weakness about that. We become discontent and we grumble about our condition, and we grumble against the Lord, we complain that He has brought us into that situation. Now, the Lord will always discipline His people. That's what we find in Hebrews 13. Because He loves us, He disciplines us and brings us back to the straight and narrow, causing us to repent of our sins, turn from them always more and more. Now you find the situation here with the Israelites as they become discouraged and complaining against the Lord and Moses that God sends fiery serpents, it says, into the midst of the camp. Now, the fiery means that there was burning that was associated with the poison of the snakes. There were poisonous snakes that bit the people as a result and as a consequence of their grumbling against the Lord. Now, I had said last Lord's Day, when we had, before we had the Lord's Supper, that probably one of the most horrendous verses that I've read in Scripture is right there in Numbers 21, verse 5, when it speaks about the manna, and they said, Our soul loathes this worthless bread. Why is that? Why is it such a horrendous comment to make from the children of Israel? Because the manna was a type of Jesus Christ. You have the anti-type, which is the fulfillment of the type. Christ is the fulfillment, as he said in John chapter 6, the manna is the true bread from heaven which the Father gives. They grumbled against the manna, and they said it was worthless, and our soul loathes that bread. That's blasphemous. And so the Lord then sent the poisonous snakes To bite the people. This was a discipline. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says that 23,000 fell in the wilderness. Why is it that they fall? Why did they, they were bit by the snakes, but why did they die? Why did they fall? Why did they fall away? Why did they perish as it were? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe what God told them. And this is always the the distinction between believers and unbelievers. There were many that were of the nation Israel. They were in the nation, but they were not of the nation. And they were made then evident that they were not truly of Israel because they did not believe the promise of God. God's promise was given clearly to Moses And that was to erect a bronze serpent on a pole and then elevate it in the midst of the camp. And tell then all them who have been snake bitten 
to look to the bronze pole and they would be healed. Now you recognize something, that those who had true faith, those who believed the promise of God, did what God called them to do. They did not say, this is foolish, this is stupid, why would we ever do this? This can't heal. And certainly those that had that attitude died in the wilderness because they did not look to the only instrument. Notice, the only instrument that God had given. Now, it's important that you realize that there was no other way to be healed physically, temporally, from their snake bite, but by looking to the only instrument that God had given, which was that bronze serpent. And those that looked were healed. They didn't believe that the bronze serpent healed them. They believed what God said, and they did what God said, no matter how foolish it may have looked in the eyes of the unbelieving Israelites. So, why it's important is because that bronze serpent was a type. And the anti-type is Christ. The only way to be healed spiritually is by looking to Jesus. That is the only instrument that God has given. Listen, there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. None. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. Exclusive. One instrument, one means of salvation. One means of healing of the soul. Now, physically, you can see the Israelites as they were snake bit. They were physically crippled by the snake bite. We, as the human beings, are spiritually crippled because of sin. The snake bite, the poison, is like that of sin that permeates us in our souls. And there is only one healing, and it's to look to Jesus. I ask you that question this morning. Are you looking to Him? Are you looking to Him alone as your only entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Are you looking to Him alone as the only one who can heal the infirmity of your soul? Are you looking to Him alone that can bring restoration, reconciliation, and union again with the true and living God? Are you looking to Him alone? And beloved, that is not you and Jesus. That is Christ and Him alone and you looking unto Him. It is always the case that man wants to sneak in some little bit of works of what he did so he can boast in himself, and yet the Lord will have none of it. Our boasting is to be in the Lord. He is our rock and our salvation. He is our Redeemer and our Deliverer. He is the one who reconciles. He is the one who restores. He is the one who brings us back to Himself. God does that. And there are not ten saviors. There are not many ways to be saved. It's not, well, you can go your way and I'll go my way and they all lead to God. No, they do not 
lead to God. There is one path, the narrow path, the narrow gate leads to life, and all others are on the broad road that lead to destruction. It's the foolishness of our culture to want to be socially acceptable, to say, well, you know, after all, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. That's the most idiotic statement. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. Truth is truth no matter who it comes to. You understand that? Truth is true. It can't be, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Truth is not person relative. Truth is absolute. Truth is universal. Truth does not change. But our culture stupidly thinks it does. And then the church wants to buy into it. Well, after all, you know, if you live a sincere life, then God will save you. No, He won't. He will not save you if you live a sincere life. He will not save you if you try your best. God saves those who, by faith, come to the Son of God, Christ, the only Savior, the only Mediator. Those are the ones that He saves, and those only. There's no other way to be saved. People always say, well, why did God only give one Savior? Because He's God. And He does His own pleasure in heaven and on earth. And no one can say to Him, why have you done that? And that's the foolish man again, wanting to stand up against the sovereign God. Why did you only give one way? One way is all that is necessary. One way is the only thing that is needed. And man will never take the way that God gives. Man will always go his own way. He must be changed in his heart. There must be regeneration. He must create faith in the heart of an individual so that he lays hold of the object of faith, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, man will always go his own way and spurn the ways of God and call what is wisdom foolishness and call foolishness wisdom. That's the world in which we live. And you and I were the same way. We went our own way. We saw, we called what God says is wisdom. We called that foolishness until the Holy Spirit regenerated the soul. Then we repent. Then we confess. Then we recognize that the Word of God is the zenith of wisdom. That's where the comfort of the soul is found. With the manna in the wilderness, which the Israelites said that they loathed, Everything was needed was supplied in the manna. Everything needed was supplied. All the nutrients that they needed to fortify their physical body was found in that physical manna. In the same way, beloved, all that we need for faith and life is Jesus Christ. When you have Christ, you have all that is necessary unto your salvation. You need nothing else. I've told you this before with the movie Martin Luther, that one simple uh, scene in there when it was asked to Martin Luther, what are you going to do and what are you going to replace all these idols and images with? He said, Jesus Christ, a man only needs Jesus Christ. That's right. That was worth the, the 10 bucks of the movie. A man only needs Jesus Christ. Need nothing else for salvation. 
I need nothing else for reconciliation. I need nothing else to be covered and clothed in the righteous robes to stand before a holy God than Jesus Christ. He is our life, beloved. He is our salvation. He is our forgiveness. He is our reconciliation. He is our all in all. And we are complete in Him. Now notice in our text, verse 14, you can see the type here. In John, it's in red. You can see the red letter edition. I'm not sure where Jesus stops speaking and John is writing. It really doesn't matter because it's the inspired Word of God. But as Moses, notice, as Moses. This is, you know, it's a type. It's a metaphor. Speaking about something pointing beyond itself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and so you see the comparison is being drawn. He says, even so must. Notice the word must. A Greek term there, it's of necessity. It's of necessity that the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, notice the parallel. Even as the bronze serpent in the middle of the camp was lifted up so all the people could see it, so Jesus must be lifted up. This is referring to the cross. He must give His life a ransom for many. He must go to the cross. He must be crucified for the salvation of His people. So, this is not an option. This is always in the mind of God to send His Son to redeem a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. Christ must be lifted up. Beloved, He is the one who is exalted. He is lifted up on the cross. He is lifted up into heaven. He is the one who in His session sits and is high and lifted up as the one who is sovereignly ruling over all things. Are you looking to Him? Let me ask you kids. You come. You hear You come to Sunday school. You come to catechism class. You know, I want you to understand, you young people, that's dangerous. Do you realize how dangerous this is? Do you understand how serious and how dangerous this is to come here Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day and to not believe in the only instrument that God has given for salvation is Jesus Christ? You know, the danger is that you become all too familiar with Jesus and you then replace familiarity with true trust and faith in Christ. And you think because I'm a member, I've gone, I was baptized, um, I go every Sunday, I hear about Jesus, that I'm in the kingdom. And you're not. You must look. You must look. Now the advantage that you have as a young person being here Sunday after Sunday is to hear the message of the gospel and to know that Christ was lifted up for His people. That Christ was on the cross for His people. You must look to Him. The world doesn't see Him. You see Him. You see Him as it were painted before you. And you hear the call to believe on Jesus Christ. Your parents cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that, young people? It's not your parents that you get you into heaven. It's Christ. 
You don't look to your parents to be saved. You look to Christ. You don't think because my parents are believers, I'm in the kingdom. No, you look to Christ. You must look to Christ or you perish. There's no other alternative. It's Christ or it's damnation. Moses said to the people of God, choose life. I put it before you this day. Life and death. Choose life. Believe on the instrument that God has given for the salvation, the cure of your soul. And His name is Jesus. Look to Him and be saved. Notice what He says in verse 15. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, thinking about the parallel. Thinking about the type in Numbers 21. We're all sin-bitten. The poison of sin runs through us all and it damns us. We come in this world as God-haters, rebels against the truth of God. We need a cure for the soul. And that is Jesus Christ. So even as the people of God in the wilderness were given the, the means by which they could be healed from the snake bite, they were to look to that and live Physically. And many of them did because they believed. So, in the same way, beloved, you are to look to Jesus if you are going to live spiritually. So, if you believe in Him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. How do you come to believe? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You see, young people. Again, you have an advantage now. You have an advantage over many of your classmates. You have an advantage over those of the world. Why is that? Because you come every Lord's Day, your parents bring you, and you sit under the ministry of the Word, and you hear the Gospel call. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The world is not hearing the Word of God being preached at a football game. The world is not hearing the Word of God being proclaimed as they're at the mall. And that they're at home watching a football game. You hear it. And you have that advantage, that blessing as being a covenant child. To be able to hear the message of the Gospel. But you are called to believe. Now what does it mean to believe? How does believing in Christ affect my life? Is there any change at all when I believe on Jesus Christ? Well, clearly there is. To believe is the Greek term pestuo, and it means to have faith, to have confidence. I mentioned this last Lord's Day, mentioned it before. I talked to my, the kids in my catechism class on Wednesday about this as well. Are you the one... Standing below, watching the tightrope walker with the confidence that he can go down and back. And you're watching and you have that confidence that he can do that. But you're not getting in the wheelbarrow? Or are you one that is in the wheelbarrow with all the confidence that that one who is down and back will take you down and back all the way? You see, that's the ones that have been around the things of God. I've heard it. I've seen it. Yes, I believe He can do that. But I'm not entrusting my life to Him. 
It's putting your life in His hands. It's having the confidence to know that what He did procured your salvation. His life and fulfilling all the demands of the law, His death in being a sacrifice for sin, in taking the wrath of God upon Himself, which is due to all mankind, but to those who believe that Christ has done that on my behalf. I'm trusting that. My entrance into heaven is Him. It's the man on the middle cross. Why should I let you into my heaven? Well, of myself you shouldn't. But Him. He's the reason. He's the key to the kingdom. He's the key to all the promises. He unlocks it all. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because of Him. In Him alone. Not because I've tried hard. Not because I've fallen a few times and I pulled myself up. No, because of Him. He fulfilled all of the demands of the law in my place. And to Him I trust. To Him I commit. Beloved, when you have faith, it changes the way that you view things. You see, true faith says, I don't care how foolish that bronze serpent looks, I'm going to look. Why? Because God said so. Remember what I said last Sunday. Martin Luther said that if God told me to eat the dung off the street, I would eat it. And I would know that if He told me to do it, that it was good for me to do it. That's faith. That's confidence. Paul was on a ship. And when 14 days had gone by and it was dark and the wind and the waves and they all thought that they were going to perish and Paul had a dream, an angel of the Lord visited him in the night and said that they were going to make it to land because you must testify in Rome. And Paul then stood before the centurion and the rest of the sailors and he said to them, Listen, brothers, The angel of whom the God I serve appeared to me last night, and this is what he said, and Paul says, and I believe God. When all around is darkness, the stars are not shining. That's how they navigated by the stars. They didn't know where they were going or what they were doing, and the wind and the waves, and Paul says, but I believe God. And that's the rub, isn't it? It's not believing in God, it's believing God. It's not believing the Bible is the Word of God, it's believing it. As God's word. Where are you at this morning? Are you believing the Bible is the word of God? Or are you believing God's word? Believing changes the way you live. You think about Hebrews 11. By faith Noah. What did Noah do? Noah built a barge. And he built it in the desert. And there had never been any rain. But God said it was coming. And He was going to flood the earth. And everything with the breath of life in it would die. Except Noah and his family. So get busy Noah. 120 years he built the ark. Believing with all the ridicule that went on. What are you doing Noah? You and your sons. You crazy old man. Well it's going to rain. Rain? What's rain? God watered the earth from the ground. They hadn't seen rain. They weren't near a body of water. And yet here he is building this big barge, him and his sons. 
They thought he was probably ready for the insane asylum. He was out of his mind. Better go have a talk with Noah. He's lost his mind. He's hearing voices. He's saying God told him to do this. And he kept building. And you know what? Everybody laughed at Noah. Till it started to rain. How many of you think wanted to get on the barge? We say ark. It was a barge. How long can you tread water? All of a sudden it became real. It started to rain. I have a friend in California who always tells me when I text him, keep it real, pastor. Got real then, didn't it? When the rain started to descend. And all of a sudden it was like all the avenues were plugged up and it began to rise. And the next thing you know, that big barge starts to lift up off the land and to float. And everybody else is on little sticks or branches or whatever. And you know what? They're going to die. But Noah believed. The Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham... Get out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees into the land that I will show you. And he went out not even knowing where he was going. Simple, God said it. Beloved, our faith is that simple. God says, look to my son and you will be saved. And we look and the world says, don't look. That's foolish. There are many ways to God. And God says, there's one and that's my son. And true faith believes that promise and looks and believes and embraces him and nothing besides him. It's the ark. He's the ark. You get into Jesus. He is in you. You are in Him. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. You are a branch united to the vine. He's the one who gives you life. He's the one who supports you. It's getting into the ark. It's believing the promise of God. That's what faith does. It believes the promise of God over against the world. Abraham is called in hope, believed against hope. What does that mean? In hope, believing the assurance of the confidence of God's promises to come to pass over against the things of the world. Over against all the things that naturally that I would think we believe the promise of God. Do you believe axe heads could float? Oh yeah, God can make them float. Do you believe the Red Sea can be parted? Oh yes. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Can a 90-year-old woman have a child? Oh, is there anything too hard for God? Why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, you did laugh. And his name will be Isaac because the laugh is on you. What do you think that the Lord can't do? Faith believes the promise. If you believe, you will not perish. And to perish, beloved, does not mean to be annihilated. It means to be out of the comfortable presence of a a God of goodness and grace and mercy and love and to be in the presence of a God of wrath. The God of justice. Nobody is annihilated. The church wants to tone that down today and to think of hell as not everlasting. Hell is everlasting. There is on the ultimate side of we speak about heaven of being eternal and that heaven goes on forever and ever. And on the ultimate, on the other side of it, the flip side of it, is hell goes on forever. That, that, that's, that's horrible to think about. Punishment. 
Which, you know, I'm worthy and deserving of it. I've broken all the commandments of God. Even as a believer, I've broken the commandments of God. And yet, His mercy is new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord towards His people. We'll never be condemned because we are seen through the lens of Christ. The Father looks upon us with Christ-colored glasses. How beautiful is that image? That God sees us in Jesus Christ. And we are not cast out. God loved the world. Now notice, this is not the birds and the beads, the flowers and the trees. It's speaking about rational humanity. Because he says, notice that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes. It's not the birds and the bees and the dogs and the cats that are believing. It's human beings. God loved humanity. And even as fallen, broken, shattered images of God, we're still the image of God. And God loves the image within man of Himself, His glory. And so He sent His Son to redeem a world of broken, shattered, rebellious image bearers. And it's strange, isn't it? An ox knows his crib and a donkey knows his master, but Israel does not know me, says the Lord. This is how fallen man is. This is God's love that He sends His Son. Now, Christmas Day is coming up, a couple of weeks. You kids are getting all excited. Kids are getting excited because you're wanting presents and you're, wanting to, and you're waiting and you're seeing things accumulate under the tree. Wondering what I'm going to get this year. Here's the, the best present that you could ever get is Jesus. This eclipses everything else. Everything else wears out. This never wears out. This is new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness towards His people. God gave His Son. The birth of Christ. The advent. The incarnation. God taking upon Himself humanity. And coming in the likeness of men. Fully God. Fully man. In one person. To save rebels. God-haters, homosexuals, transvestites, transgenders, drunkards, adulterers, idolaters, thefts, murderers. God came to save. And He does save. Look at us, 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were justified. You're being sanctified. By the working of the Holy Spirit. That's God's love. How did God love us? Not how big did He love us. How did He love us? In this way. He gave us the best gift that you could ever receive bar none. Throughout all eternity, there is no greater gift that you could ever receive than the Son of God. And this is what God gave. No spots. No blemishes. No stripes, no defects. We are given the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of His people. He washes it all away. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Are you believing into Him? Have you embraced Him? Has this become a reality, you beloved? It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's not just going through the motions. Well, this is just what we do on Sunday morning. No, no. I come because I embrace my Savior. I come because I love 
Him and He loves me. He is mine and I am His. He is my beloved. Do you come to worship that One who has redeemed you from all of your sin and misery? Then you have life. And you have been visited by the grace of God. God has raised you up spiritually. And He's given you newness of life. That doesn't mean perfection, practically speaking. But it means your hope, your stay, your confidence is Jesus. Come what may, I fall down in many ways and many times. Come what may, Christ is my salvation. (laughs) Some of you received the email that I sent out about the barn. Prop me up, O Lord. I see my life there too. Teetering, falling, leaning. Lord, prop me up. I can't prop myself up. I have not the wisdom, the wherewithal, the strength. God, you must prop me up. And He props us up. He keeps us from falling. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God. Be glory and majesty, dominion and honor both now and forevermore. What a wonder. God sent His Son, the greatest gift ever, that we might have life everlasting. Do you believe? If you say you believe, how has it changed your life? We are not to be hearers only. We are to be doers of the word. Has believing changed the way that you live? In other words, God says, build a barge, you build it. God says, leave this country and go to another. And you go. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, David. By faith, beloved. Are you believing the promise that God has given in His Word? God didn't send His Son in the first time to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might have life. Here's the condemnation. Notice verse 18. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Just like the bronze serpent lifted up. Look and be healed. Christ is exalted. Christ is proclaimed. And and you look and you're not believing. And you're under condemnation. For you who are believing and entrusting your life in the hands of Christ, you have everlasting life. You are not under condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You will never, ever, ever be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are not believing, you're looking up at the tightrope walker. You're not entrusting yourself to Christ. You're doubting. You heard all about it. You know what the Scriptures say. You've heard the preacher again and again. You've heard your parents. You've heard your friends. You've heard other church members. But you are not entrusting yourself to Him. You're under condemnation. You're under the wrath and curse of God. Life and death are set before you, beloved, this morning. Don't eclipse the birth of Christ, the advent, the incarnation, with all the human trappings of Christmas. The meaning is God sent His Son to redeem a multitude. Are you one of the multitude? Have you come to Him? It's so simple, but it's so profound. The working of the Spirit changes the way that you live your life, that you believe God. Believing 
trusting confidence in the salvation that Christ alone provides. Condemnation or no condemnation? No other place you can be, one or the other. Believing, not believing. Let me close with this. Jesus speaks about the religious Jews. And what he says about the religious Jews could apply to us today as those who are members of a church. Jesus said to them that they draw near to me with their lips. So that means they sing the hymns. They confess the Apostles' Creed. They pray along with a pastoral prayer. They go through all the emotions, all the motions, all, for all intents and purposes. They go through all the, the, the liturgy. But Jesus says, your heart is far from me. You see, people can draw near with a mouth, but their heart not be there. You see, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Christ the pearl of great price to you? Is he more valuable than all that earth can supply? Is there nothing greater of value than he? You know, Peter speaks about him in 1 Peter 2 as being precious to God. Is Christ precious to you? If Christ is precious to you, you've been visited by the grace of God. Is it lips or is it heart? Come, beloved, come and be saved. His mercy is new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. Amen. Shall we pray?